I think we're going. Welcome to the last Sunday of the church here. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm sorry we're running a little late. We'll have to learn to, you know, we had a lot of new folks and substitutes and stuff today. It still went off pretty well. We'll try to stay on time and, and kind of keep the pace. We're big on trying to get it right for you. It's the very last Sunday of the church here. Um, you know that from all the stuff that you've heard. And it's, uh, everybody gets a fresh start, so that's nice. Just a reminder, I know many of you come to um, Thanksgiving service and morning Eucharist, so remember now, change the schedule, just one Thanksgiving service on Thanksgiving Eve at 7 o'clock, and then um, the, the office is closed on Thursday and on Friday. So there will not be morning Eucharist on Thursday or Friday, okay? So just kind of tuck that away if you come in the morning, or if you're usually a Thanksgiving Day kind of person. Okay, so let's pray. Here we go. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning, Luke 12:35. Almighty and everlasting God, who's promised to us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, we beg you, direct us by your Spirit, that we wait watchfully for the coming of your Son and with holy lives go forth to meet him through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, how you doing? Everybody Okay. Uh, the money goes to Manna today. We still have people um, in the congregation who have uh, lost jobs or are struggling. So just so you know, um, money goes out to those people as you put it in. We just pass it on to people. If you know somebody who's struggling, maybe has lost a job, can't make a payment, something's going on with them, uh, just have them get to me. Uh, I'll just take care of it. I'll send on what you have given. Uh, I've given you two sheets. Um going to adjust a little bit on the fly here since I'm starting so, so late. You know, part of the fun of what we're doing, it's not just kind of exploring the new space, although it is exploring the new space. It's exploring all the new things that are happening and trying to figure them out. I have to say, um, you know, there's just something about where everybody's kneeling. We all kneel together for confession, and then I stand up and absolve you, and you are all still kneeling. I can't tell you. I mean, you should stand where I stand. It is shocking to the point of uncomfortable to see um, all of you sort of kneeling there. It just is a, and I mean it in an uncomfortable, in a very good way. It is, there's just something absolutely leveling for all of us to be on our knees saying, you know, we're sinners and we need forgiveness. Um, We can talk about this in a little bit, but I'm, I'm surprised how easily you've taken to that. I just have to tell you, if anybody walked into the room and saw all of you doing that, it's an extraordinarily powerful witness. It is just really quite something. And I'm not, I'm not distinguishing between sitting and, and kneeling. That's not the issue. The issue is kind of the reverence and the reflectiveness and the humility and uh, the knowing our need aspect of that. It really is quite, quite strange. And I have to say... You know, I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things. I'm just not, it just, it's, you know, we've been here, you know, a couple of months now. It still sort of shocks me every time I stand up and look at all of you. It's just very good, but in kind of an uncomfortable, off-my-game sort of way. It just really is quite remarkable. And I mean that all in the best possible sense. So we need to talk about that a little bit and the other places where we do similar things, and we're going to kind of work through that. Um, what we're trying to do is figure out the kind of church we want to be. In some ways, you know, that's well established. I mean, people who are here know what we're after and know what we're trying to do. 
We don't always know exactly what we want to do, though, in practice. And that's part of the fun point of what we're doing here. You know, we had a theology, and now we've built a building around that theology, and now we're living in the building in a way that matches uh, the theology in the building, which is really, really fun. But it may not always be obvious. So occasionally, like you, I lust in my heart for things. And uh, what I'm lusting in my heart for today is if I had written this article... I wish I would have written this article, okay? So I just want to observe. Here's been a really interesting observation. I'm just going to give you an observation. I probably shouldn't even put this on the tape. I will, because I don't, whatever. Uh, it's been very interesting since, uh, you know, Pastor Ganning announced some weeks ago he was going, and now, in fact, he's gone. It's been very interesting. Um, a lot of outside people have suggested a long list of people that ought to be at St. John, which tells you a bunch of things. It tells you people actually want to work here. It means that there's more support for what we do than may be obvious to you all the time. But another thing that I've noticed is a lot of the names that have come to me, and I'm not talking about just from you, and I'm not pushing this in any particular direction. I'm just saying people make the presumption that if you lose a pastor, you add a pastor, and here's a guy we think you should put. And this has come from, you know, district people, seminary people, people outside who kind of... What, but what's been really interesting to me is um, something that has plagued me ever since I've been here the first day, which is that people, because we do the liturgy, people make a ton of assumptions about us. And one of the assumptions that they make about us is we're terribly rigid. And, you know, I know guys, and I know a lot of people, and I know a lot of people who know a lot of people, and I can get the permanent record on just about anybody I want. <laughs> just, like, just like anybody can get my permanent record, right? It's not that hard. But what's been fascinating is that um, many of the guys who have been suggested by people outside, I know them to be, you know, almost unbearably rigid. Um, So rigid that often they've been tossed out of a congregation or two uh, because of the rigidity with which they sort of enforce the liturgy, enforce doctrine, enforce things. And that's not us. And I just... uh, you know, what, one of the great things about Gainig was that what people would always assume, I remember when I first came, people assumed because we did the liturgy that I'd be in love with classical music. I actually liked classical music, but I have to tell you, the days when Gainig slipped up and he put Pandora on the uncensored hip-hop, that was the best. <laughs> Had the door open a little bit, and suddenly you'd hear this, and I'm like, well, he's on his own now, so uh, if he's going to play that. Uh, but there was just something about, you know, things aren't always what they seem. So here's my point, and I do have one. Um, To do the liturgy with reverence is not the same as being rigid. To be respectful and to be humble and to know your need, and even to do things like kneel or genuflect or wear vestments, is um, is not to be stiff. Anybody who works at the altar, what I try to say to them is that we, we want to have an easy reverence there, which is I don't put down you know tape marks and say, you should stand here. But I do say to the guys who are there, here's a couple of places you should stand, and you should always be standing in one of those places, because otherwise it looks like shift change at the tile factory up there, you know, <laughs> which is not what we're after. You know, we're not, we're not, look, we're not after for, you know, people wandering around. There's a certain decorum. There's a certain reverence. You're in the presence of God. You dress up. It's much more than meeting the president. And all of you would dress up and be deferential if you met the president of the queen. It's much more than that. You actually say, you know, Jesus is coming to earth right now. I know he's little baby Jesus. I know he loves people who are messed up. I know that he has a heart for strangers and naked people and poor people. I also know that there's the other side of him, which is a transfiguration when people saw him face to face. It tossed him down the mountain. 
So the question is how you do that in a way that has sort of an easy, sort of an easy um, reverence. And uh, one of the ways it shows itself, and I've always believed this, is how you treat children in the service. And so you've, you might notice, or maybe you didn't notice some things, like in the new spot, we don't have a nursery um, for kids. Why not? Because we don't want kids in a nursery. We want kids in the service. So we've built in some lines of defense. If you notice, if you ha- so if you have a kid who starts to act up and you feel like you need to move, and parents mostly know where that line is, you, there is some walking space or even crawling space. If you want to put your kid in the back of the sanctuary behind the last pew on the floor with something that doesn't make a lot of clatter, be my guest. That's the first line of defense. The next line of defense is outside the windows where you can still see in and you can hear because there's a speaker but you can still, you're still fairly engaged. What we haven't done a good job of telling you, and so I'm, not, I'm going to tell you now, is that there is a lounge just to the right. So if you would come in the doors and turn to your right, the first door on your right in the hallway is a very nice room with a couch, a love seat, a changing table, a fireplace, soft lights. If you need to change a diaper or quiet a kid or feed a child, that's your spot. So we got to, you know, we're learning the building. We're telling. But our default is that we want kids in the service. We want them in the service because we want to shape them. We want them in the service because we're a family. We want them in the service because if you go to Thanksgiving this week and you don't have any kids around the table, my guess is you're going to say, I wish we had some kids around the table, right? I mean, I like to sit at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. There's virtually no pressure. (laughs) I mean, kids are great. So um, what I don't want, we've had, and what's kind of interesting is we've had one particular kid or two, um, I don't want to single out a kid because I don't want anybody to feel bad. We've had a kid or two who have, um, they realize when their parent has a second kid or a third kid, suddenly they're free. (laughs) Like their mom has somebody in their arms, and they calculate that their mother, even with their short legs, their mother will not be able to catch them before they get to the front, okay? (laughs) Now here's what you need to know. That doesn't actually bother us. If a kid would show up on the altar platform, we probably just put him in one of the big chairs. (laughs) Now, see, what I want you to try to understand is we can fit that together in the same sentence with wearing a chasuble or using incense or kneeling. Why? Because it's not the normal thing, but it just happens. And the last thing we're going to be is a finger-shaking congregation. We are not going to be a finger-wagging congregation. We're going to be a congregation where everybody is in and nobody's out. Of course, there's decorum. Of course, there's reverence. Of course, there's humility. That whole room is filled with that. But um, it's like I tell everybody who ever worked here, I don't get mad when people make mistakes. I care less about mistakes. Everybody make mistakes. Really, the only thing that ever bothers me about anything is lack of best effort. Do your best. That's success. If things go wrong, they go wrong. You know, that, that everybody in every venue makes mistakes. That, that's not the issue. So you bring your kids, and we're taking a little bit of a risk, but the risk is worth it because, for example, if you were in the first service, now I have to think, there was that gorgeous bit, Psalm 130, that was sung, that gorgeous psalm that was sung. Did you notice? I mean, that service was full, and it was full of kids. It was dead quiet. Did you notice? In the pause between the lines, when the soloist was taking a breath, it was dead quiet silent. 
with probably 50 kids in the congregation, probably 40 of them under the age of 10. See, what happens is you're already teaching kids. They already know it. So if you get the odd kid who makes the sprint for the altar, you know, that's going to be okay. If you get the kid that acts up, that's what kids do. They're not always going to act up. That doesn't always matter. You see what I mean? You can have both of those things. You can have reverence, and you can also have gentleness, and they actually do fit together. Being reverent is not the same as being rigid, and especially not the same as being cruel. Yes, please. Poor man. Uh, he was one of the kids who made a dash for the altar, and that was, and that was okay. Yeah, that was funny, because now the Lord made him a pastor. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, I mean, and, and people who see me in church probably realize that I don't have the quietest son, and my mom always comforts me with, you, you never know what's going on inside their head. It obviously got to your brother, even though he couldn't sit still. So, um, just keep going. You keep going, and, and, and you all, and I'll just say to parents, so I'm going to take both sides of the issue. You who have kids, you probably know when it's gone over the edge, you know? You probably know. I mean, at some point, you know, if it goes on for a couple of minutes of, like, screaming, as we would say, bloody murder, that's probably a, hey, we got to take a powder here for a couple of minutes, calm down and come back, right? But, you know, the odd, you know, scream or, like, your brother smacks you and then, you know, but it's gonna, that's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. Okay. Yes, David. I saw you talking all around one word that you never used. Okay. And that word is trust. Okay, I should have said that. And, Good. Uh, and, the, and it struck me that when we stop to think about the origin of kneeling, that kneeling is originally in, in placing yourself before your Lord where he could easily chop our head off if we wanted to, but we trust that he will not. Right. And trust, for in my lexicon, is the essence of faith. Right. So it is interesting. So trust goes with kneeling, goes with the person who you kneel before. It is always very interesting that when they make you a knight of the, you know, of the order, they use a sword. You know, just one slip to the right, and <laughs> that's the end of you. But you put yourself under the care of somebody else, right? Yes, Karen. I'm not going to praise Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, my job. <laughs> I, guess, I guess what I would like to point out is that I used to be highly judgmental of parents and children. I mean, Steve and I would be in a restaurant and I would hear a kid screaming and I would say, that should be nipped in the butt. And I, I kind of acted that way until my grandson was diagnosed with autism. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, let's be kind to our parents with children because we don't know what's going on. Right. Karen. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. You were German and you were treated with respect and discipline. I was right with you till the part about being bopped on the head. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm trying to start, stop short of the bop on the head point, okay? 
especially when it's somebody else's kids. In fact, I was telling the new members class yesterday, one of the things I've been very grateful for in congregation, this congregation, often for pastors, it's very common in congregations where everybody disciplines your kid. Everybody takes your kid as if they're the surrogate parent, and it makes pastors' kids hate the church because every place they turn, there's somebody doing this or bopping them on the head. So um, I just want to say, I was saying how grateful I was in this congregation that nobody does that. It's a very nice Thing. So I guess I would just I would just I would just say to you you know you who are grandmothers with children who are distant or you know your kids have left the nest and you're not around you can slide in next to somebody and ask them if they need a spare set of hands there's no um, so I'm not interested in chaos but I'm very interested in being welcoming and we got to find the line I guess you know Dave's thing about trust it takes a little bit to find the line but I will tell you I will tell you I can't. Most of the people who come to this church now are below the age of 30 or 35. Most of the people who join this congregation, and that's been true for a couple of years and it's true now, we're jammed with young families with young kids. The kindest thing you can do for those people is to love them up. They want to be in a place where they don't have to blow their family up in order to go to church. They don't want to be away from their family. They want their kids in church. Okay. So just pick this, let's read a little bit of this, and then we'll do some. Just just grab this. So it's the article called Worshiping in Happy Chaos, okay? Have you got one? They were on the back there. So I'm just going to read you a couple of bits from this. And I really, I would have been happy to put my name to this. I mean, this when I came across this, it was great. And I'm actually going to run this, I think, as the welcome for Christmas Eve. Bits from this, and I'll tell you why I'm going to do that. Because we're going to get the Christmas and Easter folk. And I want to, the Christmas and Easter folks are going to be well aware that the baby Jesus is in a manger. I mean, vaguely at least. But what they're not going to be aware of is necessarily is that we'd like them to come back the Sunday after Christmas and how they can do that. So here's the thing. I just want to, I kind of want to say this publicly. This is, so my purpose in this article is to encourage pastors and congregation to welcome infants to full participation in the liturgical life of the church. Okay, that's that simple. Keep your kids in the liturgy. Go to the next break where it says the welcoming congregation. I sometimes hear of a church that says it is welcoming and inclusive, diverse and multicultural, but sneers at parents bringing young children to the liturgy. I hear from parents how they dread bringing children to church in the same way they fear taking them on their first journey by airplane. Did you see the Wall Street Journal article this week about it doesn't matter how far ahead you reserve your seat? They're going to stick your kid in the last row, in the middle, and you may or may not be sitting with them. This happened to me for the first time when I took Claire, who's now 21. I took her to Washington, D.C. when she was 10, and I had her all the way to the gate. We get to the gate, and we're split. She's sitting between two business guys, and I'm sitting in the back row. Now, there's a couple of ways you can play this out. One is you can give your kid a lot of sticky candy and tell the guys to have a nice day. I mean, I actually think if I was a parent right now, this is what I do. I used to worry because I'm thinking, what am I thinking? My kid's sitting next to a child molester all the way to Washington, D.C. You know what I would do now? I'd buy him a big, big sticky thing at Starbucks. I'd get him a taffy apple and a lot of sticky candy. I'd hand it to him and say, I'm really sorry. The airline has split us up. I will see you when we land. They will move you because you talk to people and you say, would you move? And they're like, no, i got to stretch out. I'm going to move my laptop. I'm like, hey, okay, it's your funeral. <laughs> I mean, that's what I would do. That's what I, and that's what I, but, they, but they have this, it doesn't matter how far you pay ahead, they're going to put you in the last row. And they're, you know, they had all these kids who, like, this mom gets on. She's got a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and they split them, four different seats. 
God bless them. And that's how kids are treated um, in many venues. We want to be the different venue, okay? I hear how rule-bound and stiff churches can be and how discouraged people become as they split into segments and fail to interact as a worshiping community. Just by the by, children's church is a really bad idea. And if you've ever been in a congregation where the ushers came to you, and this happens in certain kinds of congregations that are interested in certain things, normally performance and normally television and recording, it's not uncommon to have an usher come to you and say, we'd like you to leave. That's not uncommon. Okay, that's not the church we want to be. My own congregation, on the other hand, is a happy church. Hey, how about that? People wonder how we stay so thankful, praise-filled, and happy. Ours is not a clappy, happy, entertainment-based church. We are a liturgical church with all the bells and smells. I am not an entertainment evangelist. I preach law as well as gospel and have an Augustinian, and thus low, estimation of human nature. <laughs> right? And I'll tell you, I mean, that's been one of my worst, that's one of my worst failings as a pastor. I didn't have a low enough opinion of you all and of myself. I mean, I told you, John Kleinig this summer quoted me Anselm in Latin. You know, I moan about something, and he quotes in Latin, you've not yet proved the depravity of human nature. Like, you know, okay. Um, I'm known to glare now and again. Still people speak of our congregation's flexibility and cohesiveness. See how you're getting all these things together? Inclusivity, flexibility, cohesiveness, and liturgy. What some people would say is high church. I just have to confess to you, I don't consider myself high church. High church is when you take the censer and you make a figure eight. I've seen that done in New York City in the Anglican church. I'm like, it was cool. I mean, you could, you know how you take a sparkle on 4th of July and you can write your name? I mean, I saw a guy with a censer doing a figure eight. up. The, I'm like, what the heck? What if that breaks in the cold? So, you know, that's high church. We're just normal church. When anybody says we're high church, I just say, well, we just do what's in the book. The problem is Lutherans haven't used the book for 60 years. Now they have no idea what's in the book. We just use the official synodical book. That's what we do. We're just normal. Anybody below us is Baptist. Oh, never mind. (laughs) All right, you're at the next point, free-range toddlers. My formula for a happy, flexible, cohesive church Contained liturgical chaos through free-range toddlers. This is great. As I often say in my own family, you know, I can't control them. I only hope to contain them, right? Listen to me. It's worth a try. The trick is you have to throw the babies into the church with the bathwater, read baptismal water, and write into their full membership as Christians. We actually say in the baptismal rite, we welcome you into the Lord's family, We receive you as a member of the church. You remember this? We actually say this. You say it. I stop talking and you say this. You say to people, we welcome you as a member of St. John Lutheran Church. Well, what other member? I mean, I do have some members I would like to stand over, and they're not under the age of 10, I'll tell you. You Behave. Stop doing that. Well, I just stop right there. Okay. Okay. Top of the next page, we offer a family worship service and Eucharistic liturgy each Sunday. One of the things visitors first notice about our worship is our unbridled toddlers. Babies and toddlers are welcome at all our services. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd? I hope your default, I hope you look at that and you go, well, of course they are, right? Families bring their children and parents, families bring their children, and parents stay with their children, worship with their children, teach their children, and delight in their children because their children are welcomed and fussed over 
by five generations in our congregation. You want your church to grow? Fuss over kids. Never say a bad word about any kid, any time. They're not your kids. And believe me, you'll survive. Fuss over them. Why don't you ask the mom if you can help them? See if the dad wants you to you know, walk to communion with him and hold somebody's hand. You can do it. You know, every kid in the congregation will hug me because I've spent, you know, time making myself huggable. You come to their level. You don't move too quickly. If they look scared, you don't go any farther. But eventually, they'll kind of move into you and give you this like, like this. And then eventually, you know, it'll come to you. Now, I'm, I'm also, and I'll just say this publicly because I like to say it publicly, I don't go anywhere with any woman who is not my wife. I also am never alone with a child. And I know, you know, there's, it's in the news every day, and it's always troublesome. And I will say it gave me pause when I first came here. In fact, um, the people were often critical of me when I first came because um, I actually didn't let anybody hug me at the door or give me a kiss. or I didn't actually touch children. I didn't do that partly because the pre-scandal was in full blast, you know, full rage about the time that I arrived at St. John. And people, I mean, I can tell you, you would go in a collar to a hospital or a college campus, and people would make, you know, child molester kind of remarks to anybody who had a collar on. So I was very careful when I first came. The implication was that then is that people, some people um, sort of tagged me as being cold toward children. I wasn't cold toward children. I just knew that everybody I bumped into, if I was wearing a collar, thought of me in the same sentence as a child molester. That has somewhat passed now. And so, um, you know, there is is the opportunity to talk to kids, be with kids, get close to kids, and even let them hug you. Because someday, you know, they're six now, but someday they're going to be 16 and pregnant or 26 and wanting to get married, and I want to be the guy that wants to talk to them. Okay? And I would just suggest to all of you that you want to be the people who are going to talk to them too. And if you do this to them now, I can tell you you're not the people that they're going to talk to. On the other hand, when everything goes to hell in their life, you want to be the people that will embrace them. This was the great John Kleinig um, thing, and I talked about this at the men's retreat, where his diagnosis of why young people don't come to church is not because church isn't cool or it's not relevant or doesn't talk about the things they want. Most young people, he suggests, and I had not thought of this, but I tend to believe him, he says most young people don't come to church because they're shamed. That is, they know what the community stands for, They go to high school. They go off to college. They do tons of things that you all wouldn't approve of. And the shame is too great for them to come back. The way you counter shame and guilt, the way you counter shame and guilt is to love people in spite of their sins. Today's gospel, everybody's in, nobody's out. Okay? If you start that little on, if you start that little on, that this is the place where no matter what happens to you, you're welcome, you're part of the deal, then people will stay in the church. I just, I just put that to you. So when you put up with a kid who is screaming or somebody who's jostling around or somebody who makes a dash for the altar, what you're doing is building a culture of welcome for times when things are dire. Does that make sense? This is the place where you belong. Come hell or high water, this is the place where you belong. There's a reason everybody kneels at once. We all kneel at once, including me, because we're all sinners. And then somebody needs to get up and say, God loves sinners, which, and that's my job. But we all kneel together because we're all sinners. And if we act like you know, some sinners are worse than other sinners, it'll always be wrong, especially if you tag that on somebody just because they're five. Being five is not a sin. 
okay? You got it? So this is all toward building the culture that you want to have here. Chaos, this is on the right side, two paragraphs down. Chaos can be the result of this welcome. I often have toddlers clinging to my liturgical skirts as I preach. They creep up behind the altar at the genuflection. Oh, hi there, Tiernan. Balance on my shoes during the elevation or get into my arms during the prayers of the church. Now, this is really important. I try not to make it cute, merely accommodating and matter-of-fact. Kids show up. When I was in Russia the last time teaching, I went to an Orthodox service. If you've ever been to an Orthodox service, there isn't any place that's more formal you know, than an Eastern Orthodox service, a Russian Orthodox. The very interesting thing, everybody stands, everybody knows what's going on, everybody's sort of bowing and moving around. There was some little kid underneath the priest who had crawled up and was playing with a matchbox car in front of him the whole time he was doing the liturgy. And later I asked about this, and, you know, one of the things I learned, I guess, is that Russians don't, they kind of have an age of accountability, not for baptism, but for discipline. That is, they kind of let kids go until they get to a certain age, five, six, then they slam the door. But until then, you're kind of free. And this kid, you know, who was two or three, is all around this priest who's, you know, got the big head on a Sensen and Gospel book, moving around, and it's like the kid's not even there. It's the only open space. People are standing everywhere else. Where else is he going to run his car, right? <laughs> Just makes sense. Logical young guy. So if this happens, um, we're not going to panic you know, and, and I will just say, if you're the mom of the kid whose kid makes a break for it, don't sprint. You know, in the ancient world, old men don't run. Neither do, you know, young men and women. It's going to be fine. What's the worst thing that could happen to your kid? I mean, we give them the Eucharist a little bit early. I mean, they commune with us. What's the big deal, okay? So just relax, okay? Um, parent wranglers show up soon enough. And getting the new children corralled in the pew can be like herding cats. As W.C. Field noticed, not easy to work with children or with animals, right? Now, this is really important. This happy chaos does not go on every Sunday. New children may be the key here. I find that after five or six weeks of regular attendance, both the child and the parents learn what it is to be normal, what is normal behavior. The children see and mimic other children. You see, this is the key. If you have a new person come... I mean, what do you do when you take your kid to the grocery store and your kid doesn't want to be in the grocery store? What's your kid do? Yeah, lie down in the aisle and scream. And there's two things you can do. You can either say, if you don't cut that out, we're going home right now, which is what your kid wants. Or you can let them lie there and carry on and compare the canned peas. And eventually they'll run out of steam, especially when other kids walk by them and scorn them like, big baby. Why give your kid what they want? You know, give them what they don't want. So, you know, we understand this. And eventually, kids will fall in line. They're like everybody else. Not being snippy. My alternative would be to roll my eyes, sigh, drum my fingers, give the stink eye now and again, and be generally snippy. And what do you think would happen? After 25 years, get this, I would be surrounded by snippy people. When you create a culture, you draw similar people. So if you have a culture of complaint, you draw complaining people, and you just get more and more and more people who think it's okay to complain. That's not us. We're creating a culture of people who are kind, who are welcoming. There is nothing cooler than watching 100 or 150 people downstairs talking and having coffee together, something that never happened here in 50 years. 
That's the kind of people you want. You want to create a culture where kids are welcome. Don't, don't, just don't. You know, you don't need to. There's nobody more embarrassed than a mom or a dad when their kid acts up. You just don't need to. Plus, it's not good for you. You know, it's just be kind, help them out, love them, make them welcome. Tell them to come back next week and see if they can scream louder. Okay? Because, because it's okay, Dad. Absolutely right. A kid who looks up at his dad and tries to sing like his dad or makes the sign of the cross. Turn and look at kids trying to make the sign of the cross. Look at them kneel. I mean, look at them. They do everything their dad tries to do. Or other men in the congregation, right? Because all the guys, all the cool guys are doing it. They're all, they're all making the sign of the cross. Everybody's kneeling. Why wouldn't the kid kneel? You know, he'll eventually come around. Flip the page because I'm starting you a little bit late. You should not mistake any of this for being irreverent. This all happens within reverence. Um, look under maintaining Sangfreud. How do I maintain my Sangfreud? My calmness. Two ways, practically and theologically. Practically, it, it helps I'm getting old and getting deaf. <laughs> I mean, I just don't notice stuff anymore. I'm a broken guy, you know? Unless the house is on fire, I'm like, do whatever you want, because I've been spending 20 years trying to get you to do this. If you're not going to do it, why should I get an ulcer over it, Okay. I'm just going to move into my office and be kind of quiet. Okay, I'm, I'm broken, so it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. You know, theologically, I've taken to heart St. Augustine's advice to his catechist, Deo Gratias. Um, thanks be to God, right? So these guys always have you know, names that mean something. Um, Deo Gratias was concerned with technique, but his mentor Augustine was more concerned that he enjoy his task and share his joy with his students. He was, Augustine told him, to find delight in his catechesis. we got to close up, so just move to the next page. First full paragraph. I'm sorry, no, page four, still page four. As William Harmless notes, Augustine presumed life was mysterious. Thus he advised that one treat interruptions as providential and act accordingly. You can read this whole thing. There's more to this than just about kids. Stuff goes crazy in your life. Okay, take a chance. Make the best of it. Okay. A little farther down. Um, Always remember you are the family of God. This is three paragraphs from the bottom on the right side on page four. Always remember you are the family of God, and yet our being perturbed at interruptions can render our rights less approachable and our bitterness make it dry and less communicative. Okay? Not bitter, not judgmental, not finger wagon. Nobody needs that. Next paragraph. Their joys in seeing these new things give us re- give rebirth to ours. Did you ever think that the kids having so much fun in church gives you the chance to have some fun in church? Have some fun. Be reverent. Have some fun. You were going straight to hell. Not, now you're not going straight to hell. That's very good news. And, you know, have a little fun. Bring something for Christmas sharing. You know, you, oh, the blessings that we have, right? These joys in seeing these things give rebirth to ours and unite us by sharing a renewed vision over those things we have grown used to having in our sight. The last page is actually brilliant. I actually don't have time to do it, but um, you should just um, look at this. I'll give you a couple things. On the left side, point three, one cannot pretend to be welcoming. You can't pretend to be kind. You can't pretend to be welcoming. You're kind or you're not. You're welcoming or you're not. Work at being welcoming, really welcoming. Discipline yourself. People can smell inauthenticity 
a mile away. Work at being welcoming. Take it as a discipline. Even if it just means you have to close your eyes and fold your hands and say a prayer for that poor family. Okay? That would be the bare minimum. Um, on the right side, full paragraph, Christian children form their identities as family members in the church and have generations of faithful Christians surrounding them with stories of their pilgrimage. This is what Don said. They learn to go to church by watching you. And if you do this all the time, or you're turning around and look at them, or you give them the stink eye, or if nobody helps, that's the kind of kid they're going to grow up to be. On the other hand, if you're kind, if you're helpful, if you love them, if you hug them, but don't be alone with anybody else's kid, you know, if you do that, then this becomes a welcoming place. So 10 years, 15 years, when people get in trouble, when people need you, this is the place they'll come back to. Um, Look at the last thing, being fully welcoming. Here's some things. Provide a room or space where parents with children can go if they get tired or embarrassed. We did that, right? Behind the pews, outside the windows, finally the lounge. Put words of welcome in the website and the phone message. We probably need to do that. Though it's counterintuitive, have families sit up front. We've said that now for several weeks. Um, It is counterintuitive, but if somebody with kids sits near you, Love them up. There's more action up front. Kids stay interested. In welcoming, it is in welcoming children that the church can obtain a joy and cohesiveness not before seen. It is in welcoming children that the church can attain a joy and cohesiveness not before seen, but much depends on the care and calm strength. Stay calm. It'll all work out shown by the pastors and worship leaders, and I would say you and the ushers, in the, um, uh, as they usher in changes slowly and patiently. You got it? So I'm just telling you, that's where I am. The church is for kids. We got a lot of kids here. There's a lot of people with kids joining. They want to feel comfortable. They want to be loved. I'm just begging you to love them. Okay? That's the culture we want. And that all goes within the liturgy. That is not a contradiction with the liturgy. It is not a contradiction with reverence. It is love in action. It's pulling people along to the liturgy. And when you have those brilliant points where it's dead silent at the psalm or dead silent at the verba, that is complete victory. Because every person in there, even those 40 or 50 kids, every person in there knows that Christ is present, whether they know it intellectually or not. Got it? That's what we're aiming for. Okay, um, hold on to your other handout. We'll come back to the other handout. We really will talk about kneeling, but this is a free-for-all, so we get to talk about everything. But take the handout, bring it back next week. I won't print so many. We'll have some fun. Got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you Wednesday night at 7.